Hi, uh, welcome to the show. How about you introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, I'm Brendan Chung. I run a small company called Blendo Games, and uh, I make video games. And um, yeah, what's what's Blendo Games about? Is there any specific type of games or any kind of specific focus that you have at Blendo Games? Um, well, I mean, I've kept the um, the games that I've made have been pretty broad and variety. There's some strategy games, some little adventure games, some first-person shooter games. Um, probably the common thread that goes throughout all of them is that I try to create games that kind of interesting stories and kind of have interesting worlds to explore. Okay. And uh, what inspires you to get into games? Oh, let's see. Um, I think when I was really young, I had a little, uh, a really old computer that my family had. And it was fun to just kind of um, try to make little stuff in the in the computer. Like uh, like my early stuff was in like Cube Basic, so really really primitive text adventure stuff. Um, then later on, we got a better computer, and I started making maps for Doom and things like Quake. Yeah, um, and that led to you know making more and more stuff. And so before Blendo Games, did you ever release any other games for for the public consumption? Or are they just primarily um, just for private use or pri- private play? Uh, no, no. Uh, I think when Quake 2 was popular, I released a lot of Quake 2 little mods and maps for that. And then later on for um, Half-Life and then for Doom 3. So lots of like mods, lots of map projects I did. Yeah. And so for Blendo Games, um, you know, I found out about you because you were at the IGF. Because uh, you were nominated for something, can you talk more about that? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, the IGF uh, nominated my game Adam Zombie Smasher for an excellence in design. Um, so, yeah, I got to hang out, hang out at GDC at the IGF area and demo my game for people. And it was really, really great. And um, what I guess, what was the learning experience as you saw people play your game at the IGF booth? Yeah, yeah. Um, getting to demo the game. So playtesting is really important to me. And at these shows, uh, like I was at PAX earlier last year, where you get to just demo the game over and over again for a few days. And it's amazing for getting feedback. Like instantaneously, you get this giant sampling of people and you see all these things that happen that you really should fix. Uh, one thing I noticed is that you know, like, in, so Adam's Always Smasher is a kind of a strategy game. Yeah. Um, and it does a strategy convention where you move the cursor to the edge of the screen and it scrolls the map. And one thing I noticed was that my, um, the buttons to select units is on the bottom of the screen. So people would always move the mouse cursor to the bottom of the screen. They'd always start scrolling down all the time. Okay. And I'd always had to, like, press a little button to correct the screen again. So, um, yeah, after the show, I made a little patch that only scrolled down if the mouse cursor stayed there for, you know, 0.3 seconds, something like that. It's a little buffer time to make sure that the player wasn't always accidentally scrolling down. Okay. And, yeah, let's talk about Adam Zombie Smasher. What what inspired you to make the game? Um, yeah, uh, the they're, they're really early inspiration was a... Um, there's this Java application called the Zombie Infection Simulator. And there's a bunch of little uh, human dots running around. There's a bunch of little zombie dots running around. And, you know, it simulated the outbreak of a zombie infection. And it was kind of 
amazing to watch how just one little zombie can uh, exponentially just viral, uh, spread this virus across the entire city. Yeah. So I, I thought, you know, there, I think a really interesting game could be built on top of that. So um, I started doing some prototypes, started experimenting around with it. And eventually I added, I ended up with Adam Zombie Smasher, which is kind of a, it's kind of a hybrid between a tower defense and strategy game. So you set up defenses like barricades or snipers or infantry or, uh, you know, artillery cannons and like that. And then you start the level and it becomes the real hard strategy game. Yeah. And when did you realize, at what point during the prototype phase did you realize that you might have something there, that you might have something fun or playable? Um, it was pretty early. Uh, my first prototype took maybe maybe a month or so to do. And then after I had something kind of playable and presentable, I started playtesting it. Because, um, you know, as, as a one-person team, it's kind of hard to evaluate whether a game works or not. So for me, it's really important that I, I go bother all my friends and family to, you know, come play this thing and tell me if it's, uh, um, like, how, does it work for you? Do you understand it? Does it is it fun for you? And, uh, yeah, the early prototype worked out really well. And um, so once you decided to go ahead with it, how long did it take to then polish it up and, you know, have it ready to go? Um, yeah, so it went through a few phases. The, the first prototype took maybe about a month to write, and um, I had to abandon that due to some uh, some poor decisions I made on the technical foundation of the game. It, was, it just wasn't really feasible to continue with that. So then I later on made another version um, and then th- after a few design iterations, I ended up getting the final version. So all in all, total, it took maybe um, maybe eight or nine months or so around there. Okay. And once you did that, uh, did you do any marketing after that to promote it? Or did you just post on forums? How did you get exposure? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm not really the greatest marketer person. I don't really know how to do that really well. Um, so for me, it was mainly just... Uh, being really available to people through email, through forums, through you know Facebook or Twitter, and um, just kind of carpet bombing all the gaming websites out there and getting them to uh, to know that this game exists and to you know talk to me about it a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, you look at some of the awards it's been nominated for. You know, the PAX 10, Gamma Sutra Top Five, um, IGF. What? Um, you know, has that has that really made a difference? Do you feel, in terms of exposure, or have there been other things that you've done, like putting it on Steam, that have been more effective? Yeah, Steam was really helpful in getting the um, the game out there. Uh, it's the amount of eyeballs on Steam is really amazing, and I was pretty fortunate that they were um, interested in hosting my game. Um, in terms of things changing, uh, I. I, I won't know. I don't think I'll know yet until I make my next game, and we'll see how the reaction is to that. Yeah, but I mean, hopefully, I'm. I'm the hope is that getting the exposure for Amazon Smasher will lead to, you know, getting some good exposure for my next future projects, also. And um, you decided to target. It's it's a downloadable game, right? Yes. Is there any reason why you targeted downloadable, say, versus Flash, or even putting it on Facebook or some of these other type, or even mobile? Yeah. Um, well, for me, the reason is. Uh, kind of on a production level is that I am one person. Um, so I would prefer to make one game that works extremely well for this platform 
because all these platforms have really radically different uh, requirements. Like a touch interface is extremely different from a mouse interface. Um, the console interface, the c controller, is very different from a mouse and a touch. Uh, my earlier games, Flotilla and Air Forte, um, were available for PC, and they were also available for the um, Xbox indie games market. And it was a tremendous amount of work to make a to make a game that works extremely well for PC and a game that works extremely well for the console because they both have very different uh, needs for them. Yeah. So moving forward, are you going to still target the PC platform, or are you going to explore some of these other platforms? Yeah, I mean, I would like to um, I'd like to explore some of the mobile stuff. Uh, particularly like the tablets, things like um, the iPad, because uh, I think that it's because I, I just got my first little touch tablet thing, and it's it's really fun to play with, and I think yeah. it's a it's a good platform for games. Um, it's something I know nothing about, so it's going to take me a little bit, bit of time to ramp up on. And do you feel that um, those platforms, those new platforms, are going to pretty much overtake PC and you know some of these other things like Flash and whatever? Um, I think it's going to have a big place in the market, but I'm not sure about overtaking it, no. And, you know, as a one-person studio, can you talk about how your day actually works in terms of, you know, game development or marketing or, and all these other things? Uh, yeah, so it's basically just me. So I do all the art and the design and the programming. Um, the one thing I do not do is music because I don't have any musical skill whatsoever. Uh. So yeah, basically it's just whatever I want to work on that day, I will just work on. So I get you know total creative control over whatever I do, which is kind of nice because I, I I'm able to wear all the different hats. So I, I just need to communicate with my own brain. Yeah. Um, in terms of like production, um, yeah, I, I don't. It's it can be a little bit difficult to have that self discipline to keep on going. Um, yeah. There's a few techniques that I use. Uh, one of them is called. Uh, I've heard it been called the Pomodoro technique, where it's basically, um, so for 30 minutes you work on your project, which means for that 30 minute block you you don't check your email, you don't check your phone, you don't uh, watch TV or you know get snacks or do anything. <laughs> All you do is just you 100% focus on your work, and then once that 30 minutes goes by, you have a like a timer or something, and then you know the timer goes off, and then for five minutes. That's your little, your break time to do whatever the hell you want to do. You know, check your email, go check your Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is. And um, so what that does is that, you know, 30 minutes does not sound like a very long time, but you'll find that, at least I find that 30 minutes of that pure, concentrated, focused work equals like, uh, like four hours of, you know, four hours of uh, unfocused work, basically. Yeah, and uh, are there any other techniques that you use to, um, you know, to maintain a discipline and focus? Because normally, even even for small studios, it's you know, it seems like it might be easier if you have, say, two people or someone else where you can kind of push each other or something else like that. Um, yeah, are there other techniques that you use to make the one-person studio system work? Uh, yeah, no, I agree with your point about you know having multiple people around you. Um, so for five years, I used to work at a uh, AAA studio. And yeah, that definitely was the case where the people around you kind of kept you on your toes and you were, you know, very um, uh, on your game all the time. Uh, another thing I do is I have a um, uh, this little 
system with index cards. So basically, whenever whenever a task comes up that I need to do, I'll write it down on a little index card and I'll put it um, uh, on the f- uh, kind of behind me on the on the little table. And so basically, as the project continues, this giant row of index cards grows. And so what the, what this does is that it gets a physical representation of what I need to do for the project and it's also a good marker for you know the health of the project. If that giant stack of index cards gets really huge, I know that something is very very wrong. Right. And um, one last thing about the index card thing is that uh, so so the alternative to that is just you know keep a little text file on your desktop and just like write in your you know notepad.exe. Yeah. Um, the, the problem I find with that is that with the notepad.exe, it's very easy to just throw stuff in there, just throw junk in there, and your list just gets bigger and bigger. Whereas the physical index cards, there's a certain amount of restraint that it requires of you because, um, A, you're taking a physical space in your you know, apartment or your office, and B, is that just the physical act of writing it down on a, on a writing, yeah. you know, getting your pen, writing on a little card, that requires a certain amount of, um, uh, it requires your idea to be as, to reach a certain bar of quality. I, I call it kind of a stupid filter. It kind of filters out your more stupid ideas. Yeah. And, um, you know, are there any other, I guess, uh, techniques that you use to, uh, I guess, be more effective? Um, I definitely can see the note card thing as uh, something that's very useful for other listeners out there. Uh, yeah. I mean, in terms of te- actual techniques, um, I'll say the thing that helped me the most is that... Um, I, I purposely uh, place scope as a very as something that's very important to me. Um, I know that I'm one person, and I know that if I try to tackle something that's way too much for me, I'll just end up not shipping that thing. I'll just never finish it. Um, my hard drive is you know full of dead projects because it took me a while to learn that lesson. Um, so whenever I start a project, I think about you know what am I good at doing. What am I not good at doing so that I should avoid? Um, and what's like a few things that I want to learn on this project? What's a few things I want to try to um, educate myself doing? And um, for the stuff that you want to avoid, do you just try to find someone else to take that over? Or, or how, do you, how do you bridge that gap? Because yeah. you almost have to take care of everything yourself. Yeah, yeah. So I just try, I just try to design around it. Um, so a previous game of mine, Gravity Bone, um, all the characters have giant square heads. They're just, you know, simple six-sided cubes. Sure. And that was kind of an accident. Um, my first attempt at Gravity Bone was, you know, really realistic-looking people, really, you know, detailed faces and, like, tons of polygons. And then as I was doing that, I realized, oh, I'm terrible at modeling these real faces, and it's taking me, like, two weeks to make just a single just to make one character model. So out of frustration, I just kind of like, all right, it's just going to be, let's just, I'm just going to pop a giant cube on this guy's head. And then I looked at it in the modeling tool and I thought, oh my God, that looks kind of, I kind of like that look. That kind of, there's something charming about that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I knew that I was not good at modeling. So I ended up just finding a little alternative to that. Yeah, and you mentioned that in, in every project you have maybe a few things that you're looking to learn. Are those things usually technical? In nature, or are you talking about game design wise, or, or what? What specifically? 
Uh, yeah, it's both. Um, so like Flotilla, the thing I wanted to learn was uh, 3D programming because I had never programmed anything in 3D before. Um, so for Flotilla, I purposely made it in space because space is kind of easier to model for 3D stuff. All there's you know there's no terrain, there's no trees or mountains, whatever it is. It's just a big empty field with some little spaceships flying around. Um, for Adam Zombie Smasher was more on the design side. My experiment was to make something... I, I wanted to make a strategy game that had kind of the, the depth and um, move, all the moving parts of a strategy game, but with the simplicity of extremely easy controls. So I purposely tried to make that game, you know, just playable with just the left mouse button, the right mouse button, and the mouse. So you don't need to use any keyboard shortcuts or anything like that. Yeah. And... Have you thought of also trying to get another person to help you with your indie games, or what are your thoughts on that? On do you prefer single, or um, you know just one person, or do you prefer actually working in a team? No, no, I actually think that working as a team. I, th- I think that when you have multiple people, you are capable of doing um, a tremendous amount of more work. Um, uh, like in in college, I studied uh, I studied a film. And for most of my time, I was just uh, just doing projects on my own. But then, like in the last maybe two years or so, I started teaming up with other people, and it was amazing. As to, I mean, you weren't capable of doing the work of two people. Your your two man team wasn't doing the work of two people. You were, you know, you're exponentially increasing yeah. the amount yeah, exactly. of work you're doing. So um, yeah, so for definitely for games, I, I would definitely want to expand out at some point. At some point. Do you feel that contracting other people is the same, or do you literally need a partner? You know, using the film analogy, you're talking about would it have been as effective as had you literally hired someone to do it, or was it just because you two were kind of at the peer level working towards some project or completion? Um, yeah, I don't know because I haven't really done a lot of I haven't really done a lot of work for hire stuff. Um, I haven't really hired people to do that, so I can't really say. Uh, I'd say that ideally I would like to find someone that, you know, I'd team up with for a while at least. And, um, yeah, how, you know, you mentioned that you worked on AAA titles versus, um, right now you're doing indie games. Mm-hmm. Which, which one did you prefer? Like, um, well, I mean, they're different with AAA. You're capable of making these, you know, giant grand epic sized games Whereas indie, uh, indie, the advantage is, you know, I get, 100% total creative control and I absolutely love that. Um, I cannot really do like the giant epic sized super grand games but honestly that's not something I'm uh, really interested in making at the moment. So moving forward what, what types of games are you looking to make? Um, yeah and what are you looking to do I guess game design wise and game development wise? Are you going to try to look for finding another a partner to kind of make maybe you know to be more expansive than in your work or even accelerating your work? Or are you going to stick to the one person model and just explore innovative games? Um, yeah. Or I mean, yes, yeah. I, I'm definitely looking for uh, more people to work with. Um, it's kind of a ongoing thing right now. Um, in terms of the games, I, I'm definitely looking forward to um, kind of digging. So yeah, if you look at my, my library of games so far, it's pretty, uh, it's a pretty broad variety of genres, so I'd like to continue doing that, try to explore all the different genres of games and seeing what I can do in them. And are you looking, or are you going to primarily focus on single-player experiences, or are you also going to look into multiplayer experiences? 
Yeah, so last year I, I did try to do multiplayer a couple of times on a, on a couple of prototypes, and um, I found that for me as one person it was uh, extremely difficult. Uh, a, on the technical side, pr- multiplayer has just a, just a whole can of worms. And on the design side, I feel that I, I kind of need another human body, a warm human, uh, a warm body to uh, help me out with my multiplayer. Because doing multiplayer yeah. as one person is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and, you know, going back to what you referred to when you're doing film and just recognizing that, you know, one plus one equals like 10 or whatever it is. Um, what, you know, if you recognize that, how important do you feel it is then for you to find another partner moving forward with your games? Is it, is it really a necessity or do you feel that as an indie developer, it's a nice to have, but it's not a needed? Um, I mean, I've, I've done, I'm pretty happy with the work I've done so far as one person. Uh, but I do feel that, um, when you do have more people, you're, you can do a lot more. So that, that's something I'm, you know, I'm keeping on the back of my mind right now. And what, well, what are techniques to even find? I mean, is it, are, are you in an area where there are a lot of other indie or smaller studios? Or is it, is it pretty difficult to find um, someone who's willing to kind of do indie games with you? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm located in the Los Angeles area. And yeah, so there is definitely a lot of people who are um, doing independent stuff. So um, yeah, I think as to finding people, I think that's, a, that's something I'm still trying to figure out for myself right now. Yeah. And... Uh, where do you see the future of indie game development going? Do you feel that um, this is the golden age of indie game development? Do you feel that it's going to get better, same, different? Yeah, I mean, I definitely see it getting more and more popular, which is really, which is really great. I mean, um, I think making games maybe 15 years ago was something that was that kind of a small subset of people did, but I think as people nowadays are getting more and more tech aware you know people are pretty much born being surrounded by computers and you know i smartphones and tablets and all that um i think that making games is going to become kind of a a very uh kind of a household thing you know (laughs) it's going to be be Uh, as you know i think as widespread as you know that's, that's like watching tv or watching movies Okay. Well, the difference though is that you're you're actually creating versus watching movies and watching TV is more consumption. Or do you, do you see any like what what'll what'll be the breakthrough that actually gets people to all create stuff? Well, or, I mean, I th- is that what you mean by consume? Like, it'll everyone will be playing games instead of creating them. Well, uh, I think that there's going to be a lot of people making them also because the thing the thing with like TV and movies is that if there's kind of a gate in front of it, if you want to make a movie, if you want to make a TV show, you generally have to go through the studios. You generally have to have a lot of equipment. You generally have yeah. to have like a lot of actors and writers and all that. Whereas games, you can kind of do without a lot of resources. Um, you just need a compiler. You just need some you know basic programming. And uh, I mean, you actually don't even really need programming nowadays. You have things like Unity or Game Maker, where yeah. which are very you know streamlined for a guy to uh, to just um, make something in an afternoon. Well, you know, now that there's YouTube, you know, still most people aren't making videos to put on YouTube, right? They're still using it to watch YouTube. Sure. Um, so, and I'm fascinated by this because, you know, one of the questions is how do you actually convince people who are normally going to be consumers to produce stuff? 
and you, instead of playing games, they actually make games. I don't. I mean, I don't know if you if you found a way, <laughs> or if you see some kind of thing that changes the dynamics so that people want to do that. Uh, no, I don't really know of any way, but um, I just kind of think that as time goes by, um, I mean, definitely people are definitely more and more um, immersed in technology with yeah. every passing year. So I think I think just think that. The, the amount of people that make games will become more and more. I mean, you've kind of seen that trend in the last decade or so. I think that's definitely becoming true. Yeah. And do you also look into board games or games that are kind of outside the computer realm? Yeah, yeah. So um, I used to work at, the, the studio I used to work at was called Pandemic Studios. And one of the guys at Pandemic was a, um, was a board game fanatic. So every, every day he would bring in a new board game and we'd play for lunch. So I was I was exposed to a lot of board game stuff, and um, it, uh, uh, I used a lot of those inspiration for um, Adam Zombie Smasher. Yeah, I mean, so do you feel that board games then definitely had a positive impact in your game design understanding? Then? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, the th- the cool thing about board games is that you generally cannot fall back on graphics or cool music or cool audio or characters or story. Basically, all you have is the game mechanics, and they're stripped down to like you know little counters and pieces and a little um, a, you know moving pieces around a board. So you really need strong and solid mechanics. Whereas with games, you sometimes get away with you know cowbell and glitz and to kind of cover up your weaker mechanics. Yeah. And you said that board games did influence Adam Zombie Smasher. In, in what specific cases did did board games? or playing board games or understanding the design behind board games um, impact or define certain design elements in Adam Zombie Smasher? Uh, yeah, so after... So Adam Zombie Smasher is kind of split off into two parts. Um, one part is the tactical city combat yeah. where you have to rescue people in your normal rescue helicopter. And that's more of kind of a, kind of a strategy game. Um, yeah, it's kind of a strategy tower defense type of game. And then once you rescue people, you're, uh, what that phase is over, and then you return back to the world map. And the world map is uh, very much is very board gamey, and um, that is kind of a meta campaign structure, uh, which is very different from the city the city rescue com- gameplay. And what um what's your favorite board game? Ooh, oh, let's see. Um, I don't think I could name one specific favorite one, but I think ones that I liked was uh, there was a few that I really liked a lot. Um, Small World was really fun. I liked Arkham Horror because I like the Lovecraft stuff, and uh, I like Dominions quite a bit. And um, are you? Do you think you're ever going to be making board games, or do you feel that um, you're going to focus on the computer realm right now, or digital realm? Uh, yeah, I, I kind of like the video game stuff, um, but I'm certainly, I do certainly love playing board games a lot. I don't, I don't know anything about making them, so that would be a, that'd be a whole new thing for me to learn. Yeah. And so for the listeners out there, where can they find out more information about your games and potentially play them? Yeah, yeah. So everything I make is on my site, blendogames.com. Great. Um, thanks again for your time. Thank you very much. Yep. Take care.